Hey guys, it's Eric Kosa here and I am back with another video. And in this video, I am so glad to be joined with the host and creator of uh, Gorm TV, which is a web show that tries to ignite a kind of difficult and critical conversations about modern Ireland with members of, of diverse communities. Momobo Ogoro. <laughs> Hi, everyone. That was a great intro. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> so in this conversation, Mo, we're going to be talking about racial colorblindness. And we actually had a conversation about this on one of the episodes of Gorm TV. And it was a very fruitful conversation. I'm going to link it in the bio and my description, sorry, for anyone who wants to access it. Uh, and colorblindness, I think, Momobo, just before I ask you the first question, I'm going to dichotomize colorblindness. You know, on the one hand, um, you know, I think when people think of colorblindness, they think of that person who says, I don't see color anytime you try to kickstart meaningful discussions about race or racism, you know, in, a, in an early cop-out way to, to kind of evade the responsibility of talking about racism, which is the pertinent issue that we should talk about. Uh, you know, that person who just doesn't want to see our racial differences and doesn't want to acknowledge the fact that racism does exist and there are problems that exist based on race. But then on the other hand, there's a more figurative uh, philosophical definition of colorblindness, which has been espoused by the likes of Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, and the civil rights leaders of the 60s like Martin Luther King and Bayard Rustin. And this advocates for a society in which we treat to one another whilst acknowledging our humanity and disregarding our racial difference. I think this figurative model is far more progressive. And unfortunately, the, the literal model of, of colorblindness, that person who tries to opt out of difficult conversations about racism has kind of blemished the latter, blemished the metaphorical way of seeing colorblindness and as a model of interaction with human beings. So on that basis, I want to ask you whether you think a metaphorical, more figurative way of seeing colorblindness, where we treat to one another without regard to race, is what we need to adopt. Use the term in our Gorm TV conversation, conscious colorblindness, where we acknowledge the fact that there are racial problems, but try to treat to one another as human beings first. Do you think this is a model we can uptake when it comes to talking about race? Yeah, I think I think that model, that was a really great explanation that you did there in terms of colorblindness. And I think the model of I like to coin it as contra -color, conscious colorblindness, but I know that can be very problematic because people are kind of fixating on the term, on their understanding of what, like the first example of colorblindness that you you taught, you were saying. But I think, I think adopting an idea or a world where we, it's going to be really difficult, first of all, but adopting a world where we can see each other's differences, acknowledge those differences, be, be grateful for those differences, have those differences as a part of who we are. And then at the same time, you not using those differences as a barrier between us. That's the kind of world that I personally want to see. And I, based on my background as a social psychologist as well, is the, the kind of best way moving forward. Because a lot of times, um, and historically speaking as well, a lot of times we as humans, we kind of accentuate those differences and so, social psychologically speaking, when we see those differences, people kind of put themselves in in-groups. And when you have your in-group and when your self-concept and your emotions and your dignity is tied to that in-group, you kind of better your in-group and denigrate people who are different to you. And when those differences are prominent, such as your skin tone, um, it can, it can create a world in which we see there's racism and stuff that things exist. But again, if we going back to the initial concept of what you had of colorblindness, if we just eradicate that whole history, yes, we know race is a construct and everything, but the effects of racism, such as colonialism, such as um, psychological effects of racism and things like that, 
if we just ignore that and say we don't see colors, rainbows and sunshine, um, that kind of has is very problematic and that kind of that can kind of perpetuate the, the racist ideology or race uh, racism that kind of exists in society. So I think it's very complicated conversation because it's really hard to do because things like skin color are so prominent, it's so prominent, so evident. And we differentiate, we start to differentiate from like, let's say two, three years old in terms of skin color, in terms of differences. So it's going to be really hard to kind of get to that idea of that society where we see each other's differences. We, we know the history that is behind those differences, but those differences are not, let's say, factors as to why you can't be my friend or you can't be my employee or things like that, if you get what I mean. So I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it did brilliantly. Uh, first and foremost, uh, I like to agree and concur with what you said, absolutely. Uh, and just to say two things before moving on to the next question. First, yeah, this was actually said, I, I think I, I pointed this out in our conversation on Gorm TV, that uh, the reason why I would my, myself personally favor uh, what you described as conscious colorblindness is because what, what I like to do when we're kind of looking at two opposing ways of seeing things is look, and, look at both of them at their extreme. Uh, you know, conscious colorblindness at its most extreme, you know, produces a society in which we treat to one another without regard to race. There may be problems that exist within society that disproportionately affect people because of race, but they won't be uh, a result of racism because racism cannot flourish in a society where we're not racially in a conscious way treating to one another. It may be because of tweaks or features of systems which need to be acknowledged. This is where conscious colorblindness comes in and where we actually are conscious of the fact that there are disproportionate impacts. But at its very worst, the biggest problem is a disproportionate impact as a result of whatever, but that's not a result of racism. And racism cannot exist in the society where we see one another as human beings first. Look, we may pick a different difference, as you said, to discriminate against one another, but race won't be paramount. But race consciousness at its most extreme can produce racism, preferential treatment as a result of race. It can produce bias uh, and, and extreme fours, forms of racial preferential treatment, which can result in things like violence and the like. So I think at the extremes, colorblindness, although it's flawed, conscious colorblindness, it gives us a very profound and solid basis upon which we can build uh, kind of an arena in which we can discuss race and move forward. And secondly, you mentioned children, and you, you noted the fact that children from the age of three start to notice difference. But something that is quite interesting is, you know, the way children perceive differences, I, I probably can only speak for myself. When I was younger, you know, I had diverse friends. Uh, and it was almost like, you know, when I was younger, I had different friends. And although I could acknowledge their differences, that didn't bother me. I played football with them. I you know, played Jenga with them. I, I did whatever I, I wanted with them as, as, as friends. And it's almost like society conditioned me into seeing them in different ways just because of the differences that they have, that they so happen to be born with. Um, and it, it seems like right now in society, we're aspiring to get back to where we were as children, where we could just treat to one another and love one another, irregardless of racial differences. So it's almost like we are where we want when we're born. We're conditioned to be away from that point and we aspire to get back to that point. And many of us don't get back to that point before we leave. So I think that's a very interesting paradox. Um, before moving on to the next question, do you have any comments you'd like to make? Yeah, I, I think I was just thinking in terms of your analogy as a child, of, of like being a child as a nurse, trying to get back into wanting to be as children and seeing each other as um, like equal human beings in society. But I think one thing to note 
because humans were so multifaceted and culture is a huge part of it, culture and ethnicity, as children were not as aware of that culture and that ethnicity, and obviously culture is a social construct as well, so it's taught. So, and it's not, it's, it's, it, I'm not saying it's bad, it's good, culture is an amazing thing, but um, those kind of things feed into our idea and that sense of, let's say, race, history as well, hit race um, and ethnicity and differences between groups. But I think maybe this is even going back to like the flawed nature of colorblindness. It doesn't, it just wants to regard everyone as the same, which we are, yes, we are on a human level, we are the same, but we are different as well. And I think those difference, differences need to be really, um, celebrated particularly when um there are let's say minority um communities and things like that fun fact i'm just going to go into a study there's a study because there's a huge debate around diversity in the social psychology space so in social psychology what we do is we study um human behavior in, in social groups so there's a huge huge lot of debate in terms of um color blindness and in terms of multicultural those are the two main areas in diversity when we're talking about race and all those kind of things so um um there's a study where the researchers they actually went into corporate spaces and they gave um surveys this is a US study obviously so they gave um study um surveys to the white colleagues in the in the corporate space in the workspace and it's the the surveys were about um either a colorblind society where everyone is regarded as the same at a human level and all that things and um, a multicultural society where those differences are highlighted celebrated and if in effect used to bring people together as well and um, then they went to the minority group member um, group members in the workplace and then they asked them if they felt appreciated, if they felt like they were not being great and they were not being um, seen for the, the specific qualities that they have as well. And in that study, they actually found that the, the white majority um, workplace people that found colorblindness as the, the main, the best way moving forward in terms of dealing with a diverse um, society, they found that the people in the minority, you know, minority groups, they actually felt less appreciated, less seen, less um, less seen as um, um, cooperative members of their work group. Whereas people who were in the sort of multicultural lens, seeing those differences being accentuated and not accentuated, but differences being celebrated and um, amplified, the minority group members in the work base felt more seen and more, um, I forget what the study is specifically, I'll link it, to, I'll give it to you at the end, but the minority members felt more seen. And it's it's really complicated, both the sort of colorblindness, colorblindness um, concept and this sort of, we call it multiculturalism, or some people in sociology, they may call it race consciousness, but we call it um, multiculturalism. And um, it's really hard to kind of, getting that middle and there's flaws in both areas of that sort of ideology of accentuating differences and not accentuating differences so it's really I'd like to be in the middle sort of kind of and that's where I come with the term colorblind no it's a conscious colorblindness and um being aware of those differences accentuating highlight those differences but at the same time not having those differences be um 
be the all be all and end all for treating people um of a certain background in a certain way so i, I don't know if you if i'm coming across well but that's that's this just a fun study to just to show the differences between let's say colorblindness and um multiculturalism because both in effect are trying to kind of navigate or try to create the best way of having a diverse multicultural society that we do live in today in ireland absolutely i think multiculturalism is something that is to be uh, celebrated uh, you know, despite any ideal, I think it's very important for us to recognize one another. And that study is, is quite profound in the fact that the minorities want to be recognized. You know, they want to be seen for who they are. Uh, and those who don't, don't fall into those groups, maybe in good faith, want to adopt a way of thinking that doesn't pay homage to those minorities. So I do think striking the balance is very, very important. Um, but to, to get to the next point, especially in the context of race, it seems like you know critical race theory as a theory has, has grown a lot. Uh, you know, and this of course informs how a lot of us see race today. You know, terms like systemic racism, institutional racism, um, race consciousness itself—it's derived from critical race theory. And I know maybe a few years ago I'd use these terms, but I wouldn't know what the theory is. But now, and I know we spoke about white fragility in the past, I'm actually reading it now. And, and I can see you know, uh, terms that are, are used in white fragility, which are derived from critical race theory, being used in how we talk about racism today. And they do, uh, white fragility, for example, place uh, an emphasis on race. It really uh, you know, exacerbates race in good faith, of course, because, you know, for example, the basic premise is that in America specifically, it's just an inherently racist society. And to be able to combat that, you need to place emphasis on race, you know, excessive emphasis on race. So this may be on one end of the spectrum and how we see things. And I'm not necessarily condemning it or endorsing it, but this is one way to see things. Whereas, you know, it condemns critical race theory and white fragility, for example, universalism and um, individualism. It sees them as something that kind of ignores the underlying racial issues that exist within society. Uh, and it, it clashes with kind of the traditional civil rights uh, kind of methodology used by the likes of Martin Luther King Jr., Barrett Rustin, who advocated for being able to appreciate people because of the content of the character, not the color of their skin. And I think striking the balance between the two is really, really hard. But do you think if we continue to maybe rely on that white fragility model of seeing race is going to provide a sustainable way to go forward when it comes to conversing about race? Or do you think looking at a conscious colorblind model is far better? One that sees us aspiring to get to a place where we can treat to one another as human beings whilst acknowledging our culture and our differences in a kind of fruitful and positive way. Mm. That, that was, yeah, I think with critical race theory, people often forget that it's a theory. <laughs> so and theories can often be disputed and often be, uh, they can often be um, disputed and, and debunked. So I'm not saying that the components of critical race theory are are bad, but I'm just saying at the end of the day, it's a theory that we need to challenge, we need to dissect, we need to explore. But if something that is just being said in the theory is just generally accepted and put into policies and people acting it out it's not like doing that exploration sort of thing and it's just making people or generating policies that generating policies that don't really aren't really critical if you get what i mean obviously critical race theory is critical it's in the name but we need to actually really explore it in in a, in in sort of a nuanced sense and, and engage 
um, different perspectives before we, especially because in Ireland, very new to this, before we implemented into a law. And one of my critiques is that Ireland were kind of copying and pasting American ideology where their history is completely different to the history that we have here. So I think it's really important to kind of, again, like you were saying, strike a balance between critical race theory and this sort of universalism sort of sort of idea and I, and I and in 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 social psychology research as well the 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 critiques that people have or they actually showed it with evidence as well the critiques that they had to this sort of um amplifying differences or or making workplaces and things like that um really like amplifying difference amplifying diversity and having all this diversity and inclusion people often forget that diversity means everybody and everybody that includes the majority group as well so um in, in studies they actually showed that um that having sort of like these huge incentives they make majority members feel excluded and when a group feels excluded, they kind of make them feel, they, again, they accentuate those differences. And when those differences are accentuated, it can lead to this sort of us and them dynamic. So, and a lot of times when people think of multiculturalism, they don't think of including the majority group, which I, which effectively leads to divisions in society. And when they, do, when they think of diversity, it really annoys me in corporate world. They think, just think of like adding a black person to the mix. And I'm like, that's not diversity. <laughs> But oftentimes it sort of leads to that. And again, as well, with having a super race, con race conscious society, it can often lead to sort of tokenization of Black people and putting Black people in boxes just to tick that race, race element or diversity element in the thing. So we really need to tackle it, this kind of issue with sensitivity and going into critical race theory. We need to understand like it's again, it's a theory and we need to kind of untangle it and we need to look into the nuances that pertain to the Irish um, demographic before we start to implement it into law, before we start to implement it into legislation. Of course, there's so many, so much research out there in sort of like the US context, the UK, but this this sort of, I know, I know it's leading into some of the things we may talk later, but this sort of thing is sort of new in Ireland. And a lot of people, particularly because of the last year, they, they have been they have woken up to um, these sort of conversations that we're having here, but generally they're like looking at what everything that's going on in America and then copying and pasting here. But it's the context is totally different, and we need to kind of under, understand our the racial issues that we have here, and kind of create a better. I wouldn't say better, but create one that is um, one that is ideal for the context that we have here. If you get what I mean, so I hope that answers your question. <laughs> create one that is. Um, that has that sort of con conscious color blindness that um, appreciates the differences between peoples are, are conscious of those differences and the history behind them, let's say, whether it may be because of race or maybe because of, of sexual orientation or religion or gender or whatever. But again, not have those as the fundamental elements of how you treat people, how you hire people, how you um, have people in classes and all those kind of things, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Um, wow, that was wonderfully nuanced. Uh, <laughs> in a way, yeah. I think a lot of uh, Irish and American thinkers who discuss critical race theory completely miss 
um, you know, I, I do agree with you from reading uh, Robin DiAngelo's book and some other writings from critical race theory more recently, I've tried to immerse myself in it because it has such a huge influence on the culture. And we use the terms, we borrow the terms from critical race theory, even here in Ireland, um, and we don't necessarily understand the theory. And I am a massive believer in what you said about us constructing an Irish dictionary to talk about racism that takes into account our unique experience, because I think it does more to serve communities on the ground rather than using an articulation that might be out of touch with the communities that we're trying to serve. But things like CRT and D'Angelo's book so far, it, it's like it, it's, it's meant to help minorities and black people by adding emphasis to race. But making such assumptions that I am in constant need of assistance, assistance because of the amount of melanin that permeates my skin, like just breaking it down to a simple level, I think it's just backwards, in my opinion. And I think going forward, uh, we do need that conscious approach. We're able to acknowledge issues that exist pertaining to racism, but ne not necessarily ascribe things to race. Because you know, racism, after all, I think in a racist society, what could happen to the victimized group is they're mistreated because the majority group might ascribe connotations and definitions and inject meaning into the color. So it gives you a reason to demonize that race. After all, this happened with the North Atlantic slave trade. The idea that Black people were inferior gave the perpetrators of violence a reason to perpetuate that. But what we need to be doing, I think, is detaching words like supremacy, superiority, inferiority, detaching that from race to the point that is reasonable so that we can interact with one another and appreciate our differences, but move forward in a way that don't, doesn't see us treating to one another with regard to our race. So this is what I, I believe, uh, just following what you said. So any comments to make before we move on to the next question? Yeah, I think I would, I would disagree to some extent because I think language is important when it comes to understanding certain things about society, if you get what I mean. So me, I'm always like in the gray area with all these sort of things because I'm like, I can see your perspective. I can see your perspective. But um. I think like removing words, and I know supremacy is a heavy word and things like that, but removing that as well can lead to its perpetuation too, if you get what I mean. So we need to be conscious of it, say it, and then we can detangle it, if you get what I mean, and then we can dissect it. And then if, if people want to change, we can change it, but just ultimately just removing it and say, oh, it's, it's not there. Not, it's not there, we know it's there, but removing it, I, I, I would say that we need to say it, call it what we know it as, and then from there we can start to detangle it. And and because I do believe like, I, I'm really, I love music and makeup and hair and stuff like that. So when beauty standards are based on the sort of European centric beauty and that's based on white supremacy, but that's the language that we have right now. So I think we, if you, if you want to go towards that society where we have this sort of, conscious colorblindness we should use the language that we have now detangle that language and then ultimately create something new but we can't just like disregard it first of all before we actually dissect it and see it head on if you get what i mean yeah no i'd agree with you totally i think that it was a flaw in what i said i think uh, there was too much of a linguistic focus in what i was saying i should have said uh, in tandem with what i said that in the process of removing these words you're not only removing the words from the the color you're, you're removing all the consequences attached to the words from the 
from the color, if you know what I mean. So saying things like white supremacy to articulate things that are genuinely white supremacist. When we detach supremacy from the word white, we're not simply detaching the articulation, but we're also detaching the consequences like Eurocentric beauty standards and things relating to history that, that see us learning it through a particular lens and not through a more universalist lens. So you're, you're taking the word and everything attached to the word with it with you, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. um, but moving on to the next question, and I think this is particularly pertinent uh, for us here in Ireland. You know, um, you know the, the conversation about race has really just kickstarted. Uh, I, I think we do need more and more people pioneering that conversation. Uh, and when it comes to it occurring on a national level, it's only now disseminating onto that level. So I think we really are at defining stages when it comes to how we go forward in regards to race. And the, the model we choose when it comes to talking about race is incredibly important because when I look to America, um, the whole idea of attaching meaning and connotations to race versus detaching meaning, which is what I'd be a proponent for, I think they opt for the former method. And this is the approach that's being taken to tackle racism. So to tackle racism, as you said, ideas like diversity and equity are being kind of distorted to take into account things like CRT in an absolutist way, not in a critical way. Um, and I, it seems like race is so a part of the genetic makeup of the country that it can never move away from, from, from it. And although race is incredibly pertinent in saying that you know, it shouldn't be defining, and I think it is defining in America. And I fear that if we adopt an Americanized model of talking about race, absolutely, I, I'm fearful yeah. for the future. Uh, so what model do you think we should adopt? Do you think a conscious colorblind model where we embrace the ideas of universalism? After all, Martin Luther King Jr., who was responsible for a lot of the racial progress in the USA, believed he used a kind of Christian articulation. He said, we're all one in the eyes of God. This is what he used, this universalist message to bring people together and allow them to see issues as human issues before they saw them as male issues, female issues, or racial issues, which is unifying. Should we adopt these ideals or a more race-based uh, way of going about things? Yeah, I think we should adopt. I always say that I am mobile before I am a black woman or before I am anything. So I think we should see, I, I believe that the vast majority of people in Ireland, they, believe they see and they believe that each and every human we're all humans and at the end of the day we are deserving of dignity and, and, and respect but as a result of history as a result of of things that happened there we have seen these differences between between our ethnicities our cultures and our races and all these things that we see with let's say immigration and um races institutional racism and all that stuff so i believe that if we see that as like a human, if we see each other at a human level and see that because I'm a human, I'm treating, and because of the, the body that I was born into, I've been treated this way, we are ineffectively being conscious <laughs> of, of the, of the, um, the differences or the race, the rate, the rate, different races, even though races are construct, the different races that um, have been prescribed to different people of melanated skin. So I think we should adopt a world where where we we again going back to what I've been saying before, we see each other's base level as human beings, but we are conscious of the histories that go behind certain aspects that we had no control over. If you get what I mean, and another concept that is is 
used in like the psychological literature, social psychological literature is called like universal, I forget what it's called, universal multiculturalism. This idea is, is this idea that we, we kind of accept each other's differences and have a multicultural society where everyone feels included, not just people in minority uh, with minority status, and have um, and are aware of those sort of differences and the histories behind those differences. And at the same, but at the same time, having those differences not be the underlying factor as to why um, why somebody is your friend or something like that obviously those differences are really important to certain um workplaces and certain um groups of people because culture is a thing particularly like if you're, for example if you're going to social care worker and you are of a, an african background and you speak a certain language it's important to have someone to have um that has that language that has that culture background therefore you hire because of that but um in in the general sense it's important to be conscious of those differences, have those differences, accept that we're different. Everyone's human is different, but at a base level, we're human beings that are deserving of dignity and respect. And I think if we dial back and go back to that sort of understanding as a society, we can then move forward and becoming that society where, and I, and I do believe in becoming like an anti-racist society where we, we see each other's differences we see the injustices that lie between different because people's understanding of race we see the injustices that lie based on people's um, understanding of race and then fight for that but if we don't go back to that base level of seeing each other as humans i think we're just going to stay divided um, as a society and again like you were saying ireland is in such a such a substantial stage such a crucial stage in terms of in terms of how we see um, race and how we see all these kind of um, topics that we're discussing today. And we really want to see that because uh, um, the anti-racist, um, anti I forget what it's called, the anti-racist strategy is coming out next month, I believe. So I really want to read that and see how it's going to be framed and how it's going to be, how it's going to reflect the society that we do live in. But again, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a very scary time to see how we're going to move forward in terms of understanding race and diversity, because a part of me feels like it's going in the direction of following um, the American ideology, with a lot of which a lot of times um, kind of does the exact opposite <laughs> of what we want to see as a society. So we're really at a crossroads here in Ireland. We can either follow, and a lot of times we do in terms of legislation is not follow what the UK and the US do, do UK generally, but um, we can actually create something of our own, which is seeing each other as a baseline, as human beings that are deserve, again, deserving of dignity and respect. And because of certain aspects that we may belong to, religion, ethnicity, um, sexuality, people's understanding and prejudices towards that may cause them to treat us differently. So we need to really create a world in which we understand that, that baseline first. And then after that, we can tackle those prejudices because we understand that you're a human, I'm a human, and we need to be treated as such. Yeah, that 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 was uh, a fantastic way to put it, and uh, yeah, I <laughs> I totally concur with you. I think um, everything you said is a prescription as to how we should continue. The term racial crossroads is definitely one I use with my friends a lot when we discuss the road 
on the stage we're at when it comes to race relations here in Ireland. So I, I do think we need to, again, as stated previously, construct that ready-made Irish thesaurus for us to be able to articulate the type of racism that exists here because it's so unique. And another fear I have is the fact that a lot of theories that uh, is being adopted, for example, in America, like CRT to shape policy and maybe in England too, they are out of touch with what I like to call ordinary people on the ground. Like I've spoken to you know, so many I think yesterday, in, a, in, in the, prior to this video, prior to us making this video, I wanted to talk to my mom about her views on race. And, you know, she kind of immersed me in the kind of black liberationist perspective when I was younger. But now it's slightly different. And I was asking her questions like the one that uh, were naturally posed by Robin DiAngelo to white people. I was saying stuff like, you no, know, do you think um, you're oppressed? Uh, you know, do you think um, because you're black, um, it means that the majority society sees you as inferior. And I asked a lot, a lot of these questions to what we call aunties and uncles too in the, in the Nigerian community that I called out for my mom. And they all answered in the negative and they didn't necessarily connect to these theories. So I do think whatever way we, we go forward, it needs to be in touch with minority and majority communities on the ground so we can move forward in a sustainable way that encompasses them. Because I think sometimes a lot of the people proposing these theories are so well-read, they're hyper-well-read, so intellectual that they they philosophize themselves into a little bubble that is out of touch with those on the ground. And I think it needs to be in touch with the grassroots. That's fundamental. Um, and, and lastly, race shapes identity to a great extent. Me, myself, I'm the political coordinator of Black and Irish. I recognize that being Black means something and being Irish me means something. So that fusing means something else. And being able to recognize that in a conscious way, as you said, is pivotal. But that being said, um, you know, I, I do think as an ideal, as a North Star, trying to aspire to get to a place where we can appreciate each other's Irishness here in Ireland whilst celebrating our difference is the goal. Um, so this is the type of, maybe you could call it conscious colorblindness that I would personally advocate for. Mm, definitely. And I think what you were saying in terms of the in terms of the academics just being out of touch, that is one of my pet peeves <laughs> being in the academic world myself. And that's probably one of the reasons why I created Gurm TV as well is because I found myself just, again, being in a bubble of academic knowledge. My research involves um, um, bicultural identity, understanding, let's say what you were saying, Black and Irish, understanding Afro-Irish identities and, and multicultural identities. and one thing I was noticing, I was just like, this information is just going to stay at a top level. <laughs> and it may be in, in policy and things like that, but it's not the people at the ground, they don't understand this. Yes, they can articulate some of the things that I'm saying in their own language, but it's, it's, it's not being, it's not, it, there's no, there's no path, if you get what I mean, between the people in the academics and the people on the ground and the people on the ground. When, I think this conversation is very beneficial for them because it kind of helps them understand the, the how their policies and things that, that are, are made. And it's really beneficial as well, because part of my work and my previous work was on participatory research. So it's so important to have a space where you have research that's not like working, that's not where, the, where like your general people, because usually for social-based research, you have participants that are normal people. So it's important to have research that your participants, they're not, working like for you but they're working with you so they're the ones that are adding questions to the research that you're doing they're the ones that are giving feedback again the grassroots organizations the the um the ngos and all the things that you work with 
it's super important to get their voice in the research and their intake of um, and their intake and understanding of that research because again it's going to stay in that sort of huge like intellectual bubble that um researchers often stay in and it's it's not really healthy when it comes to translating that research back into society so participatory research it's it's really sexy now in academia but participatory research is super important when it comes to especially in the social social science world when it comes to translating that back and again i think you're what you were saying in terms of understanding different elements of race um, ethnicity, culture, background, it's super important. And it, the language we use as well, super important when, it comes, when we want to establish that world where, where um, it is quote unquote, um, uh, I keep forgetting it, it's conscious color blindness. <laughs> so it's super, and for me personally, I like to say, um, I, I like to say I'm Afro-Irish because I, it, it's, it's, it's removing, let's say, the race element of it and bringing in more the ethnicity element of it because you can already tell I'm black. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I like to say that I'm, I'm Afro-Irish because um, it's it because blackness is already something of its own, but it encompasses and it, it creates that sort of um, ethnicity which is more richer, in my opinion, than um, ideology surrounding race. So yeah, that's that's my opinion on that. Yeah, well, I think on that note, uh, we'll conclude. Uh, I want to thank you so much for hopping on this video, Momovo. You're fantastic and spoke brilliantly and definitely provided a lot of food for thought that I'd like viewers of this video to engage with, especially when it comes to shaping this conversation about race going forward in Ireland. Um, yeah, so thank you so much. I hope to definitely have you on going forward in the future. Uh, and yes, please, in the, in, the, in the description, guys, I'm going to link Gorm TV, the Instagram page and the YouTube page. You're going to be able to, if you, if you tap onto the link, see some of the videos and some of the posts on the Instagram page. Super exciting stuff coming for the future from your own uh, Momobo. So please make sure to, to check it out and uh, follow Momobo on Instagram too. Thank you. Okay, thanks so much. Thank you all so very much for listening to episode three of the Engaging with Eric podcast. It was fantastic to have Momobo Ogoro on, the host uh, and creator of Gore Media, uh, who definitely uh, is a specialist in the area uh, of the subject that we discussed today. Colorblindness is something that has been heavily conversed uh, about by people uh, across the world when it comes to race relations. It's something that has been condemned by many anti-racist activists and theorists, but it's also been embraced by many who feel like it's the ideal ideal <laughs> to strive towards when it comes to race relations. Regardless of your view on color blindness, it's very important for us here in Ireland to talk about different ideas related to how we can construct our own way of doing race relations and our ever diversifying Ireland. Nonetheless, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, please stay tuned for episode four of the Engaging with Eric podcast, which will land very soon. Take it easy and... <laughs>